while I rejoice in the fact that we live in a community that really stops a lot of things. A lot of you have stopped your work day and your business has closed down. And I count that a privilege in the day that we live in. I'm thankful to live in a community that is somewhat uh, very friendly to Christianity, to the church. Having said that, we don't want to uh, take more than an hour if we can help it today. And so I'm jumping up right now and uh, getting started with the message. And it is my hope and desire that we will have plenty of time to sing some songs, some more songs about the cross, about this wonderful forgiveness of Jesus Christ and what he has done. And hopefully it will get stuck in your head. I hope you've got some good songs about your Savior that will get stuck in your head over the next couple days and the next couple years as well. Would you bow with me as we look to God's word? Precious and merciful Father, we look to you with an expectation that you will meet with us in this place. We praise you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit here through so many believers, but we would ask especially for your involvement in this service. We thank you for the songs that we can sing that are very close to our hearts, those that know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I also thank you for the written word of God that we can be encouraged by and be challenged by. May it serve as a mirror today. May it serve as some uh, fuel that can be poured on the fire of each of our lives to help us to burn brighter and hotter for you during this time that we are in this present world. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. In the day that we live in, when you approach someone that you don't know, it is very easy for you to oftentimes be skeptical of that person. Do you consider yourself to be a skeptical person? There are some times that this jumps out to us. Sometimes when maybe the phone rings and the caller ID shows a number from out of state and we don't know anybody in that state, right away, what does your mind go to? It's a salesman, most likely. Someone coming to take my time. You might have a similar thought about if someone knocks on your door that you don't know. I think probably 30, 40 years ago when someone knocked on your door, it was a great thing. It was exciting when someone knocked on your door. Now when someone knocks on our door, we kind of hide a little bit sometimes, especially if they have white shirts and ties on, we kind of hide. Now I do know some of you, some of you take that challenge on if those guys are knocking on your door and you've been studying up and maybe you'll start to prepare for a conversation about religious things, if you will. It's easy for us to grow skeptical. I recently was um, having uh, the oil changed in my car, and I've had a good experience with mechanics uh, for the most part, but having said that, there's just something within all of us that just lacks trust sometimes, I think. And I got my oil changed, and usually where I get my oil changed, they come to me with this list of other things that I can do, and I'm already prepared for that. When they, I'm already prepared for that. I can, I can have it on a card and say no right there when they do it. And they even are smart enough to have it on a printout. A computer is telling you to do this. And so just in the past two weeks, I went to get my oil changed, and they said, oh, you need to replace your battery. And I was very cordial and very nice. I did not insult him, and I said, oh, okay, thank you. Yes, I'll take your paper. Thank you very, very much. And, of course, I wasn't going to get my battery replaced at that point. 
and uh, found myself within 10 days in the parking lot here. And my car did not start. It finally turned over and I went right to that same place. Didn't want to turn my car off. You know, we're just skeptical, aren't we? And that's okay. I think that many people, especially believers, they become a little bit less skeptical sometimes. They come to find out there are things in this world that they just don't necessarily have the answer to. I think that God grows us in humility where folks in their 60s and 70s and even 80s, they come to a point where they realize perhaps there are a lot of things that I can learn. But it's easy to become skeptical. If you've ever been in a restaurant and you've seen a beautiful looking sandwich in a picture, and so you order that sandwich and what you opened up, you know, looks like a 15-year-old smashed it together and gave it to you. It's just so easy for us to not have trust. Let me give you the, the takeaway from our talk today. Let me jump right to the application, and then I'll bridge this with this area of skepticism. It is proper and it is right for us to remind ourselves this time of year about the cross of Jesus Christ. He told us not just this time of year, but you'll remember Jesus Christ when he was meeting with his followers, and he gave us that wonderful institution of communion. Remember that? The ordinance of communion. And he said, I want you to do this for how long? How long are we supposed to observe communion? Until Jesus comes back, right? This is my shed blood. This is my broken body for you. Do this until I come back. So it's appropriate for us to remind ourselves of the cross, and especially on a day like Good Friday. It is special for us. I think with people outside the body of Christ, this might seem very unusual. And that makes sense, right? We walk around with a cross sometimes on a piece of jewelry, a necklace, or a bracelet, or we'll display them in our homes, in our churches. The cross was a picture of torture. It was a brutal thing, and yet we celebrate that. What I would like for us to walk away from this place to do is a couple things. I would like for us to be reminded of Jesus' sacrifice, and I'd like for us just to naturally respond with incredible worship. If you can picture a glass that is filled all the way to the top, and even if you take a glass with water, you can fill it above the top sometimes, can't you? You can just get it just above the top. And imagine that, cla that glass getting bumped and what's going to spill out, the water. That's what you and I should be like when it comes to this area of worship, when we are reminded of the cross. And then next, I want to encourage us to be reminded of Jesus' sacrifice and to respond with an incredible love for others because of the love that has been shown to you and to me. Now, what do these ha applications have to do with the world that we live in that is dominated by skeptics? And I know some of you are skeptics. I get that. That's okay. It's a safe place here. As we have so many skeptics in this world, and as I challenge us with these two things, what do those have to do with one another? Well, as we do these things, I think it will drive the skeptics to a place where they do not have an answer because they're trying to figure you out. Those that don't know Jesus Christ, they're trying to figure you and me out if we're living it. And they might come up with some answers. They might say, that's good if it makes you feel good. That's cool for you. They might say that you're just trying to work your way to heaven or work your way into favor with God, so that's good with you. But if we respond with worship, it just it spills out of us. It's a very sweet thing. 
maybe you've had the experience of talking with an individual about um, a favorite restaurant in a location. And you mention a restaurant, and they've been there before, and they've had that incredible food before. And it's unusual, and as soon as you mention it, they kind of light up. Oh, wow, that's my favorite pizza place. Oh, yes. And you talk about one of your favorite things there. They light up a little bit because they've experienced it before. That's how you and I should be when it comes to our relationship with Christ. We light up because we, have, we get excited about what God has done for us. And when someone discovers that the reason that you are worshiping, going to church, or the reason that you are sharing Jesus with them, and that's a horror story for some people to talk about religion, but when they find out the reason that you're sharing Jesus is not because you're trying to earn your way to heaven, you're not even doing it because you've been commanded to, but because you love God so much that you need to share this with others, what he did for them. And I'm hoping you can find a way, and every one of you has a different relationship with groups around you, with your circles, with your family. And I'm hoping that every one of you can figure out a way to communicate this to those skeptics that might not have come to Jesus Christ yet. It is my prayer that our reminder of Christ's work on the cross during this time is going to drive us to worship, drive us to figuring out how we can share Jesus, and drive us to the fact that we know how loved we are and we cannot keep it to ourselves. And so today, we're going to talk just one verse. If you're not already there, go ahead and turn to Luke 23. Luke chapter 23, one very familiar verse that we're going to be based on. The story of the cross is the answer for the problems that are stated all throughout the scriptures. I talked to someone recently that was just now starting to explore God and the Bible, and they started right in Genesis. And I was excited for them, but I knew they were going to come to Leviticus here pretty soon. Leviticus, God's way of knocking people off their Bible reading plan in a year, right? All throughout the scriptures, from Genesis through the end, we find problems that are stated. And the cross is the answer for the problems that are presented throughout the Old Testament in particular. And when we look at the cross, it is central to the message of the entire Bible. Now, for the sake of time, on this Good Friday, we're going to move right past, and I mentioned earlier, if you've not already done some reading on the trial and crucifixion of Christ today, don't lay your head on the pillow tonight without doing that. We're going to skip past the trial, we're going to skip past the flogging, that horrible trip to Golgotha, and even the nails that went into his hands and his feet. We're going to fast forward to Luke 23 and verse number 34 where Jesus calls out from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What is happening here is Jesus Christ is isolating himself under the wrath and judgment of God. That's what I want you to keep in mind. The isolation of the wrath of God on Jesus Christ. Now we fast forward it just now. Now I want you to rewind all the way to the beginning. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to reference it. But when we look at a couple scenes that will help us understand this wrath that Jesus was taking for us, I want to rewind to Genesis chapter 3, the judgment that took place in the garden. You'll remember this very clearly. The judgment that took place when God made man and man chose to sin, and then God physically appears to man and physically appears to the serpent as well, to the devil. 
And as God appears to the devil, he says this. He says, cursed are you. Talking about the devil. Talking about even something that serpent would have to face. And then God turns to Adam. We're familiar with this in Genesis chapter 3. God turns to Adam and he says, and I, and I have to imagine if I can put myself in Adam's place here, Adam would have said, oh, here it comes. The wrath of God about to be poured out upon myself and my wife. This is going to be it. And God looks at Adam and he says, cursed is the ground because of your sin. It's very different. It's different than what he thought, I think. And we find that as he says this, that the curse comes upon the ground and we can study that out. But the principle here is clear. When sin comes, judgment has to come along with it. But God, in his mercy, creates the possibility that that judgment can be diverted away from the man who has committed the sin. And since God is going to strike, he will strike somewhere, but he strikes somewhere different so that in the future, Adam can be reconciled. Let's fast forward to the book of Exodus and look at another incidence that happens, instance that happens. We find that God works hard to get his people out of the wilderness. He sends miracles and he gets his Hebrew children traveling and they are going and they've got no idea how to conduct themselves. They've been slaves for centuries and now they're in a place where they have to walk and so God gives them some laws to follow. God gives them laws and it wasn't just a couple weeks before they broke those laws. One in particular that we see in Exodus, I believe it's 32, is that right? Exodus 32, one that we see that they broke is the law of have no other gods before me and this is a major violation of God's law. Because you'll remember that golden calf, it was the center for all kinds of immoral worship. God just told them. And so the judgment of God must come. It must. Let me remind us of the story because Moses is on the scene here. Moses goes up to the mountain and Moses tries to intercede. Here's what he says. Moses says, God, I know that punishment must come. And I would love for you to forgive this sin. If you can forgive this sin, that would be wonderful. But if you can't, Moses says, then would you give that punishment instead to me? In essence, Moses says, I will go to hell for the people if you can do that, if you can forgive them. Lord, divert your judgment away from these people and spare them by letting it fall on me. Now let me ask us a question for those Bible students that are here. Moses, and this is a magnificent offer, isn't it? Isn't it really? That he's going to go to hell so that all of those Israelites could be spared. That's the idea. And I think Moses was probably as close to perfection that any of those Hebrew children had seen. But would Moses be able to be a sufficient sacrifice for their sins, yes or no? No. Moses had his own sins. Moses was a murderer, right? He had his own sins, so he would not be a sufficient sacrifice. And so here's what God does at that point. He says, we're going to postpone 
the judgment. The pouring out of wrath upon sin will wait until another day. And it's at that point that we find God introducing the sacrifice of animals, which always raises a lot of questions. And God says you can take an animal and you can sacrifice it in the meantime. And over the years, we know that thousands upon thousands upon thousands of animals, uh, their blood was shed. And that animal would represent someone who would stand in the place and bear the judgment of sins. The judgment, judgment was diverted off of the people and onto the animal. And if I can just separate here for a minute, what kind of patience are we talking about here of our God? seeing these these people that openly mock him and not only sin, but call something else their God that delivered them. What kind of patience are we dealing with? And this principle is taught all throughout the Old Testament where there is sin, there has to be punishment from a holy God. He is holy and he is just. But in his mercy, in the mercy of our creator, And God, it may be deflected away from the perpetrator of sin to another target. It may strike someone or something else. Some of you are open to Luke 23 now. We fast forward to Calvary. And as we look at Calvary, and as you examine the scriptures, if you've read through the Bible and you're familiar with some of the sins, those big ones that stand out, what sin is going to be greater than the creation putting the creator to death. As Jesus hangs on the cross, man's sin has reached the peak of its expression. How could it get any worse? Man is punishing the Son of God and not only punishing Him, the worst possible death you could get that's what man is giving jesus christ and so now if ever in human history the judgment of god must fall it has to be now it has to come how could it get worse than that and it's at this point that jesus in effect says let it fall on me It's at this point that Jesus says, Father, forgive them. Let me be the sacrifice that has to be consumed. And so it is. And for the next three hours, darkness covers the earth, and Jesus bears in his own body the judgment of God for all sins. He who had no sin takes on all that hell had to offer. Father, forgive them. Who's included in this prayer? I think the soldiers are included in this. How about Jesus' disciples? As they ran, they were not there. Peter denied him. I think they were included. I think the crowd was included, the Pharisees. I think this prayer was for all. I think it is both and this is where we've been, is both retrospective and proactive. It covers all who will put their trust in the Son of God. And so forgiveness is released. 
I want to bear their reproach so they can be made clean. And so the sinless Son of God who came to this world, he does not hear God the Father say, the Lord bless you and keep you. But instead he hears the Lord curse you and cut you off so that those who know Jesus Christ as Savior can hear the Lord bless you and keep you. And the sinless Son of God does not hear the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you, but instead he hears this. He hears God the Father say, I will turn my face away from you and I will show you no mercy so that you and I can hear the words, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And my Savior, Jesus Christ, he does not hear the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, but instead he hears this, you're going to bear my wrath, an infinite wrath. And the only way that he could do it in that short amount of time is because he was an infinite God. You will bear my wrath and you will know no peace. You will bear the reproach, reproach so they can be made clean. Why does Jesus do this? It's so that you and I can have that fellowship with God. By faith, that we can be forgiven of our sins and know that fellowship that was lost in the garden. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him you and I might be made the righteousness of God. And so what are we to do? What are you to do? I would encourage you with this. You are to respond with worship. When you know how loved you are, when you know the amount of wrath that went on Jesus Christ and it was for you, you should respond to this incredible display of mercy with worship. We should sing. I know some of you can't sing very well. I know that. I'm so thankful for the day that we live in, the creativity of musicians that can put songs together Probably many of you, if you were asked what your favorite song was, you can go right to something that is so sweet and so special and some creative songwriter put it together. Maybe we sang one of those today or we will here in just a moment. There ought to be a worship and God reminds us of the cross on a regular basis because I think we need to be reminded of this so that it stokes that fire, so that our worship is rekindled. And here's how it happens sometimes. It's different for people that are really busy in a church. And so there are several in this building right now that are busy during church services. I recognize that. I'm busy. I'm thinking about what's going to happen next sometimes. I'm focusing on something. And every once in a while, I'll come across the verse of a song, and it just stops me in my tracks. Oh, and I'll close my eyes, and I'll sing. It'll be that sweet time of worship. That is how we respond. And we also respond by understanding the amount of time that we have in this world, the amount of relationships that we are stewards with. And because of this incredible mercy that we have experienced, we are able to tell others about this love. They're going to be skeptical. I understand that. You need to figure out how to overcome that skepticism. You need to figure out what's going to be that inroad. What's going to make them listen? 
when you have a practice in your life of joining together with other believers in your local church, and someone says, hey, can you do this on Sunday with me? I'm not going to get too preachy here, all right? But when you say something like, or when they know, I had somebody tell me that this past week. They said they were, have some buddies, and they said, oh, we can't do that until this time because so-and-so is at church until that time. That's a statement. That's a message. This is people knowing that God is important to you. This is sending them some kind of a message. And we follow up with that in specific ways. Why? Because your life is defined by the mercy of God. That's what he has done for you. When you think of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, this is how we respond. And today, we get to sing. Would you stand, please? And we're going to sing a couple more songs and have one more special. And I trust, and my part's really done, so I can close my eyes and I can sing the rest of these songs right to my God. Joel, come and lead us.